Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, Rachel, that was very impressive. Rachel said in a pre-service meeting that she would be... Where is Rachel? She's gone. Oh, there she's there. She said she'd be two minutes. It was actually four. But uh, very impressive, nonetheless, to do that in four minutes. Thanks very much, Rachel. It's very exciting that we are uh, in a place where we are supporting uh, mission all over the world. Uh, so this morning we are in Matthew 7 again. But let me... Uh, if you want to turn to the passage, Matthew 7, uh, we're coming to a very near close of our series in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, what we'll be doing, just to give you a bit of a heads up, uh, Marcus is speaking for us next week, finishing out our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We'll be heading into Advent then, and then in the new year, we are going in back into the Old Testament to the minor prophet of Jonah. Uh, we'll be spending some time in Jonah in the new year. So Matthew 7, uh, Matthew 7, this is God's Word, Matthew 7 verse 1. Matthew 7 verse 1, let me read God's Word to us before I pray for us. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Uh, let's come before God in prayer before we get into God's word this morning. Let's pray. Father, again we are thankful that we are able to gather this morning. And Father, I pray that we would see the significance of this gathering. You are here amongst us. You are both in us and around us. And so Father, this is without doubt the most significant gathering of our week. Just as the people of Nehemiah's day called for him to bring out the book and read the book. Father, that's what we're doing now. And Father, we pray this morning that the book would live we thank you that it tells us in Scripture that it is living, breathing, active. And Father, we pray that, that would be our experience this morning. Father, we come before you this morning aware of needs all around us and aware of needs in our world. And Father, we thank you so much for uh, Pastor Jacob. Father, we pray for all these things that, that Rachel has brought before us this morning, his mother's health all the, the responsibilities that he has. Father, 
it is overwhelming to say the least even to think of the numbers of people that Jacob is responsible for and yet you have provided and you have given him grace and we are in no doubt that you will continue to do that. Father, strengthen him in every way that he needs it. Father, we thank you for him. We thank you for his obedience to the gospel, for the obedience that he has to your call on his life. Father, we just pray for him. Pray that he would be blessed today as he gathers with the church. Father, bless him, we pray. Father, we pray for Duncan. Uh, do, we do pray for this youth club that started meeting. We pray that you give them the strength and the endurance and the, just the, the courage that they need to carry that out. Father, we pray that you would bless that work, that you would uh, just really help, give them practical help for that work, Lord, we pray. Father, as Christmas approaches, we know that all churches are, what happens is we tend to ramp things up and I pray for them in this season and I pray that they would give, you would give strength to them. Uh, refreshment. Father, be with Duncan and Becky. We pray. We pray that you would bless the work of their hands in Dublin. Father, <coughs> we realize that we look at Dublin and think it's a hard work, and it is. And we look at India and we think it's a hard work, and it is. But again, help us to look at Rothschild and realize that hearts are every bit as hard and need your Holy Spirit to break through. Father, we come now to your word. We pray that you would speak. We pray that you would make the book live. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <coughs> the... The passage of Scripture that we come to today in Matthew 7, as we near the end of our series in the Sermon on the Mount, is probably what I would say one of the, the most misinterpreted passages of Scripture. One of the most misinterpreted passages of Scripture. And why is that? Why would uh, this be one of the most inter uh, misinterpreted passages of Scripture? Well, it's because every single human being looks for a way out. Every single human being looks for a way out, and so they, they use this verse, judge not, that you be not judged. We look for a loophole, we look for a way out of our behavior and, and what, we, what we don't want to be judged for. And so, but, but oftentimes, the reality is, even though we look for a loophole and we look for a way out, uh, we are very keen and, and very happy and, and more than willing to judge others. That, that's the reality. Uh, so this is probably one of the most misinterpreted verses of Scripture. I, have, I, I couldn't go without I was going to go without it, and then I couldn't go without it. That's just the way I am. You probably know me too well now. But I, I think I've read these lyrics before uh, from one of my favorite uh, music artists, Tupac. Uh, joke. Uh, Tupac says this, only God can judge me. Is that right? Only God can judge me now. Only God, baby. Uh, nobody else, nobody else. All you other, beep, uh, get out of my business. Only God can judge me now. Perhaps I was blind to the facts, stabbed in the back. I couldn't trust my own homies. Uh, just a bunch of dirty rats. 
Will I succeed, paranoid from the weed, and hocus-pocus try to focus, but I can't see? Great words from Tupac. Uh, Tupac there is essentially uh, summing up a worldview. Summing up a worldview. Stay out of my business. None of you, you can't judge me. Now, what I want us to notice as we jump into this text this morning at the start is this. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say to leave the speck in your brother's eye. Jesus doesn't say to leave the speck in your brother's eye. He actually commands taking the speck out. To do so is not unloving, not unkind. In fact, it is the opposite. Those who love other people will manifest that love a million times in a million different hard conversations about things they see in the other person's life that they think needs to change. So rather than prohibiting all judgment, Jesus actually commends the judging of others, but only after judging yourself. But only after judging yourself. If all judgment were out, if Jesus was asking us not to judge at all, if all judgment, then how would you discern, assess, judge, or who falls into the category of verse 6? Do not give dogs what is holy or throw your pearls before pigs. Who are dogs and who are pigs? How would we know if we weren't to judge? Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Grapes, are, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. How are we to distinguish between sheep and wolves, false prophets, good teachers? It seems as though there, are, there is some good form of judgment, some appropriate form of judgment is expected. And so whatever judge not means, it can't mean that we don't judge at all. So first of all, let's note what Jesus is not saying. John Stott reminds us helpfully here, our Lord's injunction to judge not cannot be understood as a command to suspend all critical faculties in relation to other people, to turn a blind eye to their faults, pretending not to notice them. Let me say that again. Our Lord's injunction to judge not cannot be understood as a command to suspend all critical faculties in relation to other people, to turn a blind eye to their faults, pretending not to notice them. The fact that Jesus was not forbidding us from expressing our opinion on right and wrong, good and evil, truth and falsity. He's not doing that. He's not forbidding us from doing that. And that can be 
Again, that can be shown to us by two factors. The immediate context and the rest of Scripture. That Jesus is not forbidding us from using our critical faculties to, to judge others, to judge right and wrong, to judge what is true and what is false, can be shown to us by the immediate context and also the rest of Scripture. The immediate context, first of all. Virtually all of the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been in this some time now, both preceding this text and to the end, will encourage us to use our critical thinking and our critical judgment in making ethical, moral judgments. Jesus has told us in the Sermon on the Mount, be different from the world around you. Pursue a righteousness that is greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees. Because theirs is a bad form of righteousness. To do more than what unbelievers would do. Because what they, they, they don't have God, the Spirit in them. So we're to do more than them. To avoid being like the hypocrites. We see that hypocrite word used again today. You hypocrite. Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites. How do you know what a hypocrite is if you can't judge a hypocrite? When we give, when we pray, when we fast, do not be like the hypocrites. So how can we possibly obey the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount unless we first evaluate the performance of others and then ensure that ours is different? It's impossible. Not only immediately, but but following this, Jesus issues two more commands. Don't give, to, don't give what is holy to dogs or pearls to pigs. Again, two, two powerful words of judgment. You don't go around calling people dogs or pigs and say, I'm not judging them. You are. So we're to use our critical judgment in order to determine our behavior towards dogs and pigs, false prophets. We must be able to recognize them. In order that we recognize them, we must ex exercise some form of critical discernment. That's the immediate context. What about the rest of the New Testament? I'll give you a list of texts here. You can go away if you're reading or going back over the sermon later in the week. You can look at these texts. You'll see this. There's one in particular that I want to just dwell on uh, briefly. The rest of the New Testament. Matthew 18, Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 5, 3, Galatians 1, Philippians uh, 3, where Paul refers to his enemies as dogs, evil workers, the, false, the, the, the circumcision party. Now, do you think that if Paul's going around saying these people are false prophets, dogs, whatever, do you think he's using a form of judgment there? Of course he is. Of course he is. And then there's probably the clearest teaching in the New Testament that we are, in fact, to use our critical judgment. And it is this. 1 Corinthians 5. This is really important. This is really, If you're a member of Cornerstone Church, prick your ears up now and listen to this. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 5, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church 
whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. The Apostle Paul. Let me read that again. Because that is critical. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Right, let's just stop, break that down. Everyone. Everyone who wouldn't claim to be a follower of Christ. We have no business. No business judging them. None. Do you see that? Literally what the text says. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Nothing. So when today when the church stands and shouts at the world and gives off about the world and gives off about what is out there and isn't it so bad and isn't it so terrible? Aren't they so bad? Aren't they so terrible? Paul would say this, what have, what have, what have you got to do with that? Look at yourselves. That's essentially what Jesus is saying here. What have you got to do with that? Look at yourself. And purge the evil person from among you. This is, this is not, he's not messing. The Apostle Paul here is not messing about. I, I used this text actually in a membership class. Every time we do a membership class, I use this text. And it's the text where we all know that there's something going on in the church in Corinth that shouldn't be happening. And Paul, and this person is unrepentant, and Paul says, put them out. Put them out. Probably one of the clearest examples of church discipline and church membership in the New Testament. What have we got to do with judging outside? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So clearly when Jesus says in the sermon here, do not judge, he is not saying simply suspend all judgment. There is right and wrong, and we are to make an evaluation on that, especially within the church. Especially within the church. Let me give an example of correct judgment within the context of the church. If someone, and I know this would never happen, if someone, pause for comedic and dramatic effect, if someone was, for example, gossiping and being divisive, right? If someone in the church was gossiping and being divisive, should others in the church simply turn a blind eye to that? Of course not. Of course not. They need to be corrected. And that would not be the judging that Jesus is speaking about here when he says, judge not. That would be right judgment. And so there is, Jesus is not saying suspend all forms of critical judgment. So what does this verse mean then? 
What does it mean? If it can't mean that, what does it mean? Well, first of all, I think it means this. It means that we are not to judge hypocritically or self-righteously. We are not to judge hypocritically or self-righteously. As always, the first thing that we should do when we interpret, verse, to verse, interpret this verse rightly is to keep it in the context. I keep saying that. I'll, I'll preach that until I'm stopped preaching. But the context is the most important thing. It's massively important. We can't just lift one verse out, take it where it doesn't belong, and use it for our own purposes, what, what, what so many people do here. Yes, he says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. And then he adds, for the same way, the same measurement that you will be judged with, you, you know, you'll get the same. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? You hypocrite. And here Jesus again is, is he's going after the hypocrite. You hypocrite. And he's saying, he's talking about hypocritical judgment. He's saying, don't condemn someone or something for something you would do yourself. Or you're doing the same thing, or maybe even worse. Don't judge hypocritically. Romans 2, verse 1 to 3 says the same thing. Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in what you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things, and you do the same yourself, that you will escape judgment? Don't judge hypocritically, judging people for the things that you do yourself, if not worse. The reality is, folks, a lot of us, and I include myself, are really bad at this in many areas of our lives. We are a lot harder on other people than we are on ourselves. We are a lot harder on other people than we are on ourselves. I mentioned last week about watching Man United, and I have to commend Anna for this. She's very good at this. So I'll sit and I'll watch Man United, and I'll, I'll watch the TV, and I'll say to uh, Bruno Fernandes, who's a Portuguese international footballer who plays for Man United and has played football all his days, I will tell him what to do. All right? And Anna will turn around and say to me, could you do any better? Very good. That's, uh, no, no, I can't. Shut my mouth. That's hypocritical judgment. Hypocritical judgment. You see, here's the thing, and I say this often. We often want people to give us the benefit of the doubt. Right? We want the benefit of the doubt, don't we? Uh, don't we? No, I, I, all right, you don't. Oh, okay, let's do that then. 
No, we do. We want the benefit of the doubt. You want the things in your life overlooked. I want the things in my life that aren't right overlooked. We want that. The reason we want that is because we're not perfect. We're not perfect, and we know we're not perfect, and we want our sins and our flaws and the things that we don't do right to be overlooked. And yet, we are so critical and so judgmental of other folk doing exactly the same things possibly that we do. Hypocritical judgment. So Jesus says, do not judge hypocritically. Second, do not judge hypocritically. Second, do not judge on the things that we are incapable of judging on or incapable of judging on. There are things that we have no ability to judge. Now, when the Bible clearly says something is wrong and something is right, then we have a really clear ability to do so. We have, we have absolute clarity. We have right and we have wrong. In fact, Jesus tells us in the church that we have that responsibility. And we are, in fact, as I said, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians, we are to do that. We are to exercise that authority, and we are to judge within the church. No doubt. And we know what the Bible says, what the Bible doesn't say. There is clarity in that. But there are also things that we are totally incapable of judging. We see several instances of that in the New Testament. John 7, Jesus said, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. God is not concerned with outward appearance. He's concerned with the heart. Jeremiah 17, I, the Lord, search the heart. But, but here's the thing. For the most part, none of us know what is going on in the heart. So we are incapable of judging that. We are very limited in what we can judge, and that's the reality. You can't judge another person's motives because you don't know. We can't judge another person's heart because we don't know. We can't judge another person's thoughts because we don't know. Now, even going beyond the heart, there are so many facets of a person's life and actions that we cannot, we cannot know because we are not with them 24 hours a day. The reality is, even in the church, we get to see each other for a very, very short space of time. We get to talk to each other for a very, very short space of time. And therefore, it's very difficult to judge what's going on. Tim that's why 1 Timothy 5 says, The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. In other words, he's saying, there's some things you can just see. There's some things that are right and wrong. They're clear. There are some things that will follow down the line that may reveal themselves. Leave that to God. First Corinthians 4, Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before time. But wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring light to the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. We don't know why people do things. We might think we do. We might 
see certain evidences of why they might. But we don't know. There's so much we are incapable of judging. Incapable. So, one, just going around these points again just to remind you, what Jesus is not saying is to suspend all critical, uh, critical judgment. What he is saying is don't judge hypocritically. What he is saying is don't judge the things you are incapable of judging. And third, he's saying this, we should not judge others in matters that are not clearly taught in Scripture, but which are matters of personal conviction. Let me say that again. We should not judge others about matters that are not clearly taught in Scripture, but which are matters of personal conviction. Romans 14 has a huge section on this, and I'm just going to read what Romans 14 says because it, it, it explains it slightly better than I could imagine that. Uh, <coughs> Romans 14. Let me read this. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. Some of you are smiling, and I'm not even started the passage. That's literally the first verse. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God while the other one abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us live himself, lives, himself, lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For this, is, for this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you why do you despise your brother for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God as it is written verse 3 and 4 the one who eats do not hold the one who abstains in contempt who are you to judge the servant of another Folks, how many church squabbles, church disagreements, church splits have been caused over the years by people not reading Romans 14? 
Shocking. Shocking. Let me just read, read that again. The first couple of verses. First verse. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not, do not quarrel over opinions. And this is like, right, okay, I, I respect your opinion. But if it's not biblical, and it doesn't come from the Bible, it's your opinion. And we're not to quarrel over opinions. Don't judge people on their opinions. Don't fall out over opinions. We cannot judge each other on matters that are not clearly taught in Scripture, but are just matters of personal conviction. So, recap briefly. What Jesus is not saying is to suspend all critical judgment. We are to judge, and we're especially to judge within the church, uh, on matters that are biblical and right and wrong. What it does mean is that we are to suspend hypocritical judgment, self-righteous judgment. What it does mean is that there are things that we are incapable of judging, we cannot see everything. We cannot know everything. We do not know what's going on in the hearts and minds of people. We are limited in what we can judge. And thirdly, we should not judge each other on matters that are not clearly taught in Scripture, but are just personal conviction. Right. What is the big message here today? What is the big focus? Here it is. Don't focus your attention on the specks in the eyes of the people around us. Focus on the log in your own. Focus on the log in your own. In other words, when you come in here today, we are all tempted to say, in our hearts and in our minds, this is a cracking message for someone else. That's the reality. I hope they're listening to this. The reality is when we come through those doors and we come under the Word of God and we come here week by week under the Word of God, we, we need to come with the attitude, God speak to me. God, speak to me. God, change me. God, deal with me. Take my eyes off other people. Let me see where I need to change, where I need to be convicted, where I need to walk closely with you, where I need to, where I, speak to me. Focus on me. The reality is, if we all came with that attitude, if we all came to work on ourselves and, and listen to God for ourselves, a lot of our problems would be eliminated. If we all came with the attitude of not judging others for things we can't see or, or the limited understanding that we have, or we all stop criticizing other people around us and ask for God to work on us, things would be different. 
The reality is, each of us, as Scripture says, has enough trouble of our own. If you're in here today and you know Jesus, and you've, you've been saved by Jesus, the only way that has happened is that you have admitted you're a sinner. The only way that happens is if you admit you're a sinner and come to him in faith. Ask for his grace. So the reality is, if you know Jesus, you know you're a sinner and you have no right and I have no right to look down my nose on anyone. Anyone. You have got your hands full. I have got my hands full if I was to focus on my own sanctification from now until he calls me. Some of you have more work to do than others. Just saying. That's only a wee joke. That's only a wee joke. But you have enough to do. And I have enough to do. We don't need to go around looking for other people to judge. Now, just before I stop, as I said, that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that in the church we suspend all critical judgment. If there are things that are wrong, biblically, they need called out and we need to repent of them. That's just really simple. So, today as we conclude, judge not lest ye be judged. I am so thankful this morning that God didn't look at my life previous to when I was 20 years of age and even after I came to Him. And I'm so thankful that He didn't judge me on that. But he sent a savior to save me because of that. Because of that. Because I am not worthy. Because I am sinful. Because I will continue to sin. Because I am messed up. He sent Jesus to save me from that. Who would I be to look around and judge other people? The Bible says, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You weren't all clean. You weren't all put together. You weren't all righteous. You weren't all good. And Christ died for you withholding judgment and showing grace. Just as we're to do with each other. Let me pray for us. Father, 
we, we, we massively need your help when it comes to this. Far, the reality is we need your help when it comes to every single thing. But we need your help when it comes to judging others around us. Father, help us to realize that we don't see everything. We don't know everything. Help us to avoid hypocritical judgment. We need your grace. Every single one of us needs your grace. And help us to extend the same grace to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.